1: Amen. Matthew 25 and beginning with verse number 6. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and for you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write these things says he who is holy he who is true he who has the key of David he who opens and no one shuts but also shuts and no one opens I know your works see I have set before you today an open door door that no one can shut. You have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Lord bless you. You could be seated. I want to preach for a little while this morning on the danger of the misjudged door. Several years ago that I had gone up to visit my daughter at school, Indiana Bible College. Brooke was a freshman there. I'd gone to visit her on her birthday and uh, been there with him in chapel service and then chapel had ended. And I was excited. That was my first child that had left me and uh, I wasn't excited that she had left me. <laughs> but I was excited because I got—I was able to see her and I had a few a window of a few hours that I was going to be able to spend with her. And my heart was still aching over her departure just a month prior to that. So my mind was racing. I wasn't really thinking much about where I was or what was going on. I was thinking more about anticipating the moments I would be able to spend with her. So the enthusiasm, just the, I was caught up in kind of that enthusiasm of the moment, and somehow in the course of our leaving the building, as we made our way toward the exit, which was made up of two uh, double glass doors or two double glass doors there. and so as somewhere out of the corner of my eye and with the enthusiasm of the moment, my expectation led to an altercation. Not an altercation with a person. I probably would have fared a little bit better if it had been an altercation with a person. Perhaps I would have been able at least to get a lick in if it had been somebody else that attacked me. Somehow with a quick glance at the exit, And as I had entered the building earlier, the doors had been propped open. And so now my expectation of what they had been and caught up in the moment. My expectation being that the doors were open, I approached the door with no hesitation. My stride was confident and unbroken until the altercation. Without even so much as a flinch, my face encountered the door which I assure you was not open. And I fear that soon such will be the dismay of many that have walked through church doors week after week, month after month, year after year. I fear that the day is soon coming that many will rise on that Sunday morning as they have on Sunday mornings before. They will rise to come to church to sit through another service They will come with smug indifference and carnal confidence they have brought with them for as long as they can remember, long ago, it's been long since the fire went out, long ago the zeal and the passion gave way to routine and religious duty. They will arrive on that Sunday morning indifferent and yet ignorant to the fact that the doors that they have passed through hundreds of times before, the door is no longer open. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the story of ten virgins. Your Bible identifies in the second verse five of these women to be wise and five of them to be foolish. The parable of the ten virgins contains no shades of gray, it doesn't bother with flowery, flattering words to try to embellish the character of the five who are identified as foolish. There are no statements there to help us, to give us some sense of compassion toward the five that are identified as foolish. There are no subnotes to let us know that these five had come through rough times or to explain the extenuating circumstances that might have led to them being identified as foolish. No, just a swift and a sure line right down the middle. Five are wise and five were foolish with so clear a line and so sure a contrast and considering that this the 13th verse of this passage clearly defines the context of this parable saying this is how it's going to be at the coming of the son of man this is how it's going to be at the coming of the lord this is what it's going to be like there will be no gray There will not be a subcontext that will be given. There is not going to be the compassionate Savior that you know now that is going to look down and say, well, they had a rough life. Uh, Well, they just went through some things, and so maybe we should give them a little slack. No, there will be a clear line drawn down the middle, and on one side there will be the wise, and on the other side there will be the foolish. Because of the context of this passage and the hour that we live in, I would hope that every person that is in the audience today, whether in person or online, would want to know If my backstory and what I've been through does not play into the... See, I think there are many that that really think that on that day when Jesus comes, uh, that Jesus is going to take into consideration the hard times that you've been through and the difficult life that you've had to live. But can I tell you, there is no gray at the second coming of the Lord. There is going to be no judging based on what you've gone through. It's either are you wise or are you foolish. Well, I got offended by the pastor, and ever since then, I just, I just didn't have the same zeal. It doesn't matter. Either you're wise or you're foolish. Either you've got oil in your lamp or you don't. Well, you don't understand. You see, my my marriage went through some things, and I just never recovered after that. It doesn't even feed into the equation. The only thing that matters is: is there oil in your lamp, or is there not oil? Are you wise, or are you foolish? Well, pastor, but everything was fine. But then I went to high school, and and the temptation just overtook me. I went away to college, and I got involved in some things that I didn't intend to get involved in. And ever since then, my passion for the things of God just hasn't been the, it doesn't matter. Either you're wise or you are foolish. I would think everyone would want to know then if how wrong I've been done or how hard I've tried it doesn't play into the equation, then I want to know what determines the difference between those that are wise and those that are foolish. First, let me clearly place this parable within the right scope, within the right target audience. Let me define for you who this parable was aimed at speaking to. Who was Jesus talking to? And who was Jesus talking about when he shares this parable concerning his second coming? This is clearly defined when the Bible says all ten of these women, both wise and foolish, were virgins. The virgin in the Bible is the same as what a virgin is today. It's one that has kept themselves. They have consecrated their life for a greater purpose. The virgin in the Bible is always a type of the church. So this parable is not about the world. So I know that we, you know, well, I'm in the church, so I'm good. And, you know, I come to church every Sunday, so I'm not the foolish. The, the foolish are the world. It's those that don't. No, this is, fi- there are going to be foolish that come to church week after week they are going to be foolish that have danced around this altar, knelt at this altar, spoke in other tongues, been baptized in Jesus' name. There will be wise and there will be foolish in the church. This parable is not about the world. It's not about those who have never heard the gospel. Not about those who have never graced a church or knelt at an altar. No, the five wise and the five foolish they were all virgins. They were all in the church. The line that separates the wise from the foolish is not whether we are in the church or in the world. If I could say this, and I would say if there's someone watching right now and you are in the building even, and you are not in the church, there's not a better time to get in the church than right now. There would not be a better and more appropriate time on the scale of history to get into church than right now. Jesus is coming back for his church. Jesus is coming back for his bride. And if you're not ready, there's never been a better time to get ready than right now. Well, what do I need to do, preacher? Do I need to shake your hand? Do I need to sign? a place on the membership roll? No, if you want to join the church, you got to do it like they did in the book of Acts. you got to repent of your sins. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. You've got to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. You must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And if you're not in the church, you are not foolish. And I know this is going to come across as harsh. You're not foolish, you're ignorant. I know that word is harsh, but let me explain what it means. It simply means you don't know any better. I believe it's better to be ignorant than it is to be a fool. Because the ignorant have never experienced the power of God. The ignorant have never heard the message of Calvary. The ignorant have never experienced redemption and regeneration They've got a right, perhaps, to say, I didn't know any better. But the fool, you don't have a right to say that. You stood in Sunday morning services as the Holy Ghost swept through the building. You've knelt at an altar and tears ran down your face. You got in the waters and you were baptized in Jesus' name. You have walked in grace. You have witnessed mercy. You have understood truth and still you will not be ready when Jesus returns. Notice that in verse one, they all, all ten, the five wise and the five foolish, the church went out to meet the bridegroom. Verse five, when the bridegroom tarried, When his coming was delayed, the Bible says they all slumbered and they, I'm looking for the demarcation I'm looking what is it that differentiates the wise from the foolish because I want to know because Jesus is coming soon did you hear me I said Jesus is coming soon if you don't believe that Jesus is coming soon I don't know what else to tell you all you've got to do is look around you right now and the prophecies of the word of God are being fulfilled and if Jesus is coming soon JB I would hate for you to be among the foolish when you got a preacher standing here on a Sunday morning telling you, Jesus is coming soon. But when the bridegroom tarried, when his coming was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. That would feel like an attribute that belongs more to the foolish than the wise. But can we be honest? In our walk with God, there have been times that we have all slumbered. There have been times when our worship has not been as true as it should be. There are times when we've expected the worship to entertain us rather than move us into a place of magnifying God. There have been times when we sat there and stared at the preacher and wondered when he was going to say something that would move us into a place of praise and worship rather than sitting eagerly on the edge of our seat saying, give to me the unadulterated, unfettered word of God. We've all been guilty of falling asleep. We've all been guilty of slumbering. We've all been guilty of not having the urgency that we ought to have. They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there went out a cry. I don't, I I just, in my spirit as I was reading through this, I just try to imagine what it must have felt like. I try to imagine what it's going to feel like, Cortez, at that night. The Bible says that hour when no man is looking for his return. We've People have fallen asleep within the church and without, and there are very few that are looking for his return. I believe that piercing pitch, that piercing cry in the middle of the night, amen, is going to awaken us, is going to awaken the church from its slumber. It's going to awaken the bride of Christ. It's going to awaken those of you that sit here Sunday after Sunday, and you're lethargic in your worship uh, and you're complacent in your praise, uh, there's got to come an awakening in the church uh, when we realize the bridegroom is coming. At midnight, there went out a cry, a cry that must have pierced the dark darkness of the night. Behold, the Bridegroom cometh. Undoubtedly, the ten waiting women leapt from their place of slumber. Is it leapt or leaped? They leapt, is that right? Ashamed that they had fallen asleep. And undoubtedly, they were dealing with some feeling of guilt and remorse. Anybody ever been awakened and you know, you had to get the early flight and your alarm clock didn't wake you up and. And all of a sudden you realize I've got to hurry or I'm not going to make it to the airport in time. And you're running around in circles. Your brain hasn't kicked in yet. You're just... You know, you got to do some kind of movement. So you're just moving. And I, I imagine those ten virgins, uh, that's what's happening, is they they realize that the moment has come. Uh, they realize the moment that they've been waiting for, the reason they have consecrated themselves, uh, the reason they haven't been a part of the world, uh, the reason they went out to meet the bridegroom. Uh, now the moment has come. Uh, and somehow they allowed themselves to drift off into sleep. Uh, but now as the cry pierces the night, uh, they leap out of their beds. Uh, they They jumped from their slumber and they began to move. Their mind is not yet kicked in. They're clearing away the cobwebs out of their thinking. But the Bible says they all arose. Fighting through the haze of interrupted sleep. A cry that should have brought joy and delight. Instead prompted uh, uh, alarm and disarray. They all arose and trimmed their lamps. And up until this point, Justin, there is no demarcation. There is no separation. They're all virgins that have kept themselves for the bridegroom. They all went out to meet the bridegroom. Desensitized by his delay, they all slumbered and slept. And at the sound of the midnight cry, they all arose and they trimmed their lamps. Everything, what's the difference between the the, the fool and those that are wise? What is the difference between those that are foolish and those that are wise? It appears to me that up until this point, Brother Roberts, they're all doing the same thing. Even the wise fell asleep. Even the wise slumbered when the bridegroom delayed his coming. The fool was there with them when they trimmed their lamps. So what is it that differentiates the wise from the fool? Yet it is here that the line is drawn between the wise and the fool. And most often when we preach this parable, we accentuate the absence of oil in the lamp of the fool. And of certainty, the five foolish the Bible does tell us has let their oil run out but I want to push a little bit further because I think that could have been remedied. All 10 of them believed in the necessity of oil. It's not like the five fools thought, oh, I don't really need oil. They knew that they needed oil. They believed in the value of the oil. Even the fool desired to fill their lamp with oil. It was their intention. Oh, one of these days, pastor, I'm going to get back to where I need to be in God. I still believe in God. I still believe in the Holy Ghost. I'm just busy doing my own thing right now, pastor. you got to understand I'm young, and I've got some things I want to do. One of these days, pastor, I'll run back to an altar, and I'll get right with God. And this is the line of demarcation, This is where the gray leaves the building, and it's here that you are either wise or you are foolish. I believe the demarcation, the dividing line that separates the wise from the fool can be found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says that while the foolish five went to buy, the bridegroom came And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, "'Lord, Lord, open to us.'" You see, here is the line, the demarcating line between the wise and the fool. We've all been guilty of falling asleep. We've all been guilty of being desensitized. Amen. We've all been guilty of that. But the line of demarcation is that the fool thought the door would always be open. They failed to realize that there was coming a day that the door would be shut. They failed to realize that once that door is shut, it will never be opened again. They failed to realize... You see, they came Sunday after Sunday, and the door was open. They came Wednesday after Wednesday, and mercy was there, and grace was there. The presence of God was there. But what they didn't realize is that there was coming a day after the cry in the midnight hour that the door was going to be shut, and it will never be opened again. I'm reaching for somebody online right now, Tiana. I'm reaching for you today. I love you, Tiana, and I don't want to see you lost for eternity. But don't let the enemy deceive you. The door will not always be opened. <laughs> I know we've all fallen asleep at one time or another, but that is not the great error that will make you a fool. It's when the enemy leads you to believe that the door will always be open. The door will not always be opened. There is coming a day, there is coming a moment very soon when the door is going to shut and his mercy will be no more. Come on, if you've fallen asleep, that doesn't make you a fool. If you've fallen asleep, that's not what makes you a fool. But it's when you begin to bargain and when you begin to reason in your mind and say, Pastor, I'll get around to it someday. I'm just not ready yet. One of these mornings you're going to wake up and you're going to find the door is no longer open. I preach to you. I preach to a church today. I preach to the modern church that has much in common with the ten virgins of Matthew 25. I believe that the modern church of North America has fallen asleep in so many ways. We've been, we have been we have been desensitized by affluence. We've been desensitized by worldly appetites. If you would, we've been desensitized by good church. How can you sit through an apostolic service and never clap your hands? How can you sit through a service when the presence of God is moving through the house? and not be moved to an altar of repentance. I'm going to tell you how. Because we've been desensitized. We've heard for so long that Jesus is coming back. Brother Roberts, I've been in no less than 100 church services where suddenly there came a hush over the building, a holy hush. Nobody said be quiet, just God moved in, and everybody felt it. After that, it was followed by a message in tongues. And following the message in tongues, there came an interpretation. And over a hundred times, Brother Roberts, I, I don't—I couldn't count the number exactly, but I've heard someone send and say the same message. Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. 34 years ago, I heard that message in Living Hope. 20 years ago, I heard that message in Living Hope. And if we're not careful, we get lulled to sleep like the virgins did because the bridegroom delayed his coming and the church has fallen asleep because, hey, where's he at? I've been hearing it for 30 years I've been hearing it as long as the church has been around and yet know Jesus and so we fall asleep because we've been desensitized 2,000 years ago the apostle Peter wrote of this callous calamity that would overtake the church of the last day he wrote in Second Peter chapter 3 verse 3 knowing this first that scoffers will come in the last days you know, the, kind of giggling under there. Oh, this pastor, man. This is crazy. What's he talking about, Jesus coming back? Pastor, you need to get with the times. You, you need to realize that, that that's just a bunch of mess you're preaching to us right now. Scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lust. Well, this is just what I feel like. This is just what I want. I I just feel like I need this in my life. I just feel like I need knowing what the Word of God says, and yet they follow after their own life. Peter, 2,000 years ago, said, Preachers, pastors, I I want you to know this is going to be, this is a letter, an epistle, not written to the world, written to the church. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? since the fathers fell asleep all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation for this they willfully forget that the word of god that by the word of god the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water He is saying this, in the last day, there were going to be a church that is desensitized because they've heard about the rapture, but they haven't seen it. He said, Pastor, you're going to get up to preach about what you're preaching on the second, I think second Sunday in June of 2020 in the middle of a world that's losing its mind. And yet the church is going to stare back at you with indifference because they wonder, where is the sign of his coming? You're too busy pursuing your career. You're too busy pursuing riches. You're too busy pursuing your the lust of your flesh and preaching doesn't even move you it's not the foolish that have fallen asleep we have all fallen asleep mantles of intercession and travail laid down by mother brown mantles of intercession and travail still lay crumpled where sister bush laid it down two years ago waiting for someone to come along, waiting for another generation that will walk by and pick up that mantle of intercession and lead this church forward in prayer, praying prayers of desperation. I'm telling you, the church has got to awaken itself. I'm not questioning today whether you're in the church or in the world. Amen. In this last hour, you would have to be ignorant to be in the world. But that's not who this parable is pertaining to. And I believe the things that we're watching right now take place. Last night, another shooting in Atlanta. Some of you think it's about race. Some of you think it's about humanity. You think it's about human nature. What you don't understand is the Bible said, and then the last day is nation, ethnos, ethnicities are going to rise up one against another. And it said as the coming of the Lord gets closer, it's going to get more and more and more. Am I for what's happening? Absolutely not. Do I believe it's going to stop? I don't believe it is. Politics won't make it go away. This is not a skin thing. It's a sin thing. It's a heart issue. And as the coming of the Lord gets closer, it's going to happen more and more and more. Now, if you want to make it into a racial thing and you want to try and fight a racial battle, it's not going to help any. I'm telling you what it is. It's a midnight cry. It's Jesus letting us know that he's about to come back for his church. It's Jesus letting us know, church, you better wake up. You better get ready. Come on, you better wake up. You think this is about race. It's not about race. It's about the coming of the Lord. I've done my best in the last few weeks to tap dance around some things. But so many of you right now, you've been lulled to sleep by the adversary. You are being deceived into focusing your attention on the political factions of the hour, on the political issues of the hour. You're giving all of your energy to airing your opinions on things that in the scope of eternity, they will not matter one little bit. I told you I'm not for injustice, but I'm going to tell you there's a lost world out there, and the church is being distracted by issues. We've got to realize this is a midnight cry. And even today as I stand in this pulpit and I tell you what's going on around us or the sign of Jesus coming, some of you will get indignant with the preacher. Pastor, you're trying to make this about the Bible. You're trying to make this about Jesus. You're trying to get me off of my political soapbox. You're trying to get me off of what I know is important to me. I'm irritating you much like those virgins. It was irritating in the midnight hour. It was irritating when the cry went out that the bridegroom is coming. But whether you're irritated or not, it doesn't change the fact that the bridegroom is coming. Second Timothy 2 and 4, no man, everybody say no man. No man. That's not gender specific, it's humanity specific. No, no human being that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. Living Hope Church, those of you, I'm pleading with you right now, get your eyes back on Jesus. Uh, All of the junk going on in the world around you, get your focus back on Jesus. Uh, Stop posting political things uh, and start posting Jesus things. Uh, Get your eyes back on Jesus. Uh, Get your focus back on Jesus. The Bible says those virgins, all ten of them, the wise and the foolish, are stumbling around in the darkness of the midnight hour. They begin to trim their wicks. And here's where I really begin to have a problem with the five foolish. Because the trimming of the wick is a visible outward thing. And it has to, it has to be tended to. I mean, if you get all the oil in the world but you don't have a wick, it's no good to you. You're going to have an explosion, not an illumination. So I'm not, I'm not trivializing the importance of the wick. It needs to be tended to. But trim, trimming the wick when you have no oil is pointless. And trimming the wick can be done at any time. Hey Amen. They could have trimmed the wick as they were walking into the procession. They could have trimmed the wick even once they were inside the building. Because what they were looking for was not a trimmed wick. What they were looking for is do you have oil? They were all, they were going through all the acts. The fools were going through all the same actions as the five wives were. Why? Because they didn't want to admit that they'd run out of oil. So they came to church and they clapped too. They stomped. They raised their hands too. Look at my wick, it's trimmed, man. Hallelujah, I'm holy, I'm godly, I'm righteous. We come to church and the wick is trim, but there's no oil on the inside. We come to church and we trim the wick and we do all the outward stuff so everybody around us thinks that we're right uh, and that when the bridegroom comes, we'll be ready. Uh, and we're more, in, we're more interested in the perception of those around us uh, than really making sure that we are ready. Uh, we're more interested in trimming a wick than making sure there's oil in the lamp. It's here that the great folly of the five virgins that would draw the line between them and the wise. They'd done everything that the wise had done. They were in the church they went out to meet the bridegroom. They awakened at the midnight cry. They trimmed their lamps. They knew the value of the oil, but they wrongfully deducted that the door would always be opened. Uh, Brother Roberts, I, I just thought to myself, when the cry went out uh, and those five foolish virgins knew that they didn't have any oil, uh, the first thing they should have done is ran out to the keeper and the cellar of the oil uh, and said, I've got to have oil. Uh, I can trim my lamp on the way, uh, but I can't get oil just any... I've got to run to an altar and I've got to get oil because the bridegroom is coming the great error that would leave five who had lived their lives consecrated what a shame that will be to grow up in the church live a lifestyle that looked godly to everyone around you At one time, they had eagerly anticipated the coming of the bridegroom. They had even risen at the cry of his coming. Yet now they will forever be remembered in Scripture as the foolish, yet eternally forgotten by the bridegroom. Afterward came the foolish virgin saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. He answered and said, Verily I say, I don't know you. Today, I'm not preaching to the ignorant. I'm not preaching to those that have never known. I'm preaching to the foolish. I'm preaching to those in this building right now that you've come and your your wick is trimmed. On the outside, you know how to clap. You've got the apostolic stomp down. You've got all the things in order, but on the inside, you don't have any oil, and you'd rather go through another Sunday. Listen, the cry has already gone out. I'm telling you, I would not be in any way surprised if Jesus comes back this week. I wouldn't be surprised. Cortez, I wouldn't be surprised this is the last time we get to say hello to one another on this side of eternity. The prophecy has been fulfilled. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Don't sit there and trim your wick. You need to get a hold of the seller of the oil. You need to find the seller of the oil. I don't want to die a fool. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. Come on, you may have grown up apostolic your whole life, but if you don't have oil, it doesn't matter. Some of you think the door is always going to be open. You think this preacher has lost his mind because all you've ever known is the mercy of God. All you've ever known is the grace of God. But I've come to tell you today, there is coming very soon a day when the door is going to shut. And when the door is shut, it will never open again. Pastor, when the time is right, Perhaps another Sunday, not today, Pastor. Perhaps some other day, I know the door will be open. I've got time to go get oil. I've got time to trim my lamp and then get oil. And I know the door will still be open when I get there. But sadly, those five foolish virgins, when they got there, the door was closed. The door was no longer open. I'm telling you, don't you wait one more minute. Don't you wait one more second. If your heart is not right with God, if you've got racism in your heart, run to this altar. If you've got hatred in your heart, run to this altar. If you've got bitterness in your heart, run to the altar. Come on, right now the door is open. I preach to you the words of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 3 when he said to the church at Philadelphia, I present to you an open door. I want to tell you right now the door is open. Right now there is mercy. Right now there is grace. Right now there is forgiveness of sin. Right now there is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Right now the door is open. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open up unto me, I will come in and sup with him the door is open right now but the same Jesus who said I'm giving you an open door also said in the preceding verse that I am also the one who shuts the door church we've got to open our eyes I know the world is telling us this is all about this, that, and the other, and you can buy into that if you want, but I'm telling you what I hear in my ear is not what they're telling me this is. I'm hearing a midnight cry. I'm hearing the signs of the times. I'm hearing Jesus saying, Church, get ready. I'm coming.
0: Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com.